Hi, I'm Dan Benjamin, the founder of 5x5. It has been exactly one year since I started 5x5, and uh, I wanted to take a moment to say thanks so much to you for listening, for all of your donations, uh, for your kind ratings in iTunes, and for all of the support you've given along the way. We absolutely wouldn't and couldn't be here doing these shows without your help. Here's to another great year. This is Hypercritical, a weekly talk show ruminating on exactly what is wrong in the world of Apple and related technologies and businesses. Nothing is so perfect that it can't be complained about, at least not by uh, my co-host, John Syracuse. Uh, you may know him from his writing at Ars Technica and elsewhere. I'm Dan Benjamin, and uh, thanks for listening. This episode is sponsored by Screens from Adovia.com. Screens lets you access your Mac from anywhere using any iOS device. Uh, it's a universal VNC client. You can use multi-touch gestures, shortcuts, and more, and you can even connect to Windows and Linux PCs, which is John Syracuse's favorite thing to do when he's out of the house. It's VNC made simple, and it only costs $19.99. Check it out at adovia.com slash screens or on the iTunes App Store. We'd also like to say thanks to Campaign Monitor, email marketing software for designers, developers, and their clients. You can design great-looking emails with your own tools, track your email-related conversions and sales, and manage your subscribers with ease. And here's some news. Campaign Monitor has just released a brand-new API, monthly pricing, autoresponders, and more, and you can sign up today at campaignmonitor.com. And now that, uh, that those things are done, I can say hello to my, my very best friend ever, John Syracuse. No Z Syracuse. How you doing, Dan? Doing good. Thanks for your help earlier in the week trying to figure out what was wrong with that drive. Should you we talk about... Can, lack of help. Can, well, no, you kind of helped. Can we, can we talk about the drive? You can. I think it's an interesting story. It's kind of a weird story. Tale. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I, uh, I got a, uh, bought, a, bought an older G5 from a friend of mine and had a, an older hard drive sitting around I wanted to use in this thing. And I, uh, I, I, I put the drive in and booted up the machine, launched, you know, booted up the, uh, booted from the Leopard installer, and it saw the drive just fine. But it wouldn't. It wouldn't let me format it. All of the options to format it were grayed out, as if it was a CD-ROM drive. And so at first, I googled and looked up, you know, reasons why this might be. See if there was another way to do it. That kind of thing. But the reason why is I had used this drive in an external chassis to, uh, and I had used on on Linux. I had used the dd command to put an Ubuntu install image on it. And and of course, when it does that, it does it in the ISO nine six six zero format so it it thought the mac os 10 system saw it as as a cd-rom drive even though clearly it was a hard drive and it even showed the hard drive icon and disk utility and the installer uh it it refused to let me format it it wouldn't even try because it saw it as this other it saw it as a cd-rom drive which of course is read only it's interesting that it gave it the hard drive icon you would think that uh the operating system or that that program would make the decision about whether I can reformat this and whether it's a hard drive, kind of it would be the same decision. So you would think it would either show the CD image and not let you format it right. or show the hard drive image and let you format yeah. it. It's weird. Yeah, but it didn't. And I I have to try the same thing. I, I want to connect it uh, to a Snow Leopard machine to see if it has the same problem. 
Uh, if not, I'm gonna. Ha- I guess I'm gonna have to go into find a Linux machine uh, and, and use that to to change it or something. Well, you know, Mac OS X has the DD command, so you can just wipe the thing from the command line. Yeah, that way if that's you're, what I. If you're really, really, really careful, that's what I have to do. But yeah, it, it just struck me as being so funny because here here's something that clearly it recognizes as a hard drive based on the icon, but based on the file format, it's thinking it's a CD-ROM drive. So it's kind of kind of an edge case, but don't do that. The moral of the story, never use Linux. <laughs> right. <laughs> so what's up? We have uh, we have some follow-up, John, from, from last week. Yep, as always, we have follow-up. But I, I made a decision on the follow-up. Uh, I've decided not to do any backup-related follow-up this time because we just have so much backup-related follow-up, and I feel like the show is becoming <laughs> the backup show with right. Dan Benjamin and John Syracuse. So I, I want to... Uh, I'm going to save that. I'm going to save the backup follow-up. Maybe it'll be for next episode, maybe the episode after. But there is a huge outpour, a huge continual outpouring of people who have things to add or ask or say about backups. But we're yeah, skipping that for this episode. Yeah, before or right when we were starting, people in the chat room were saying, hey, I wonder if they'll talk about backups today. Yeah, that was it. <laughs> That's just, just to tell you that we're not going to talk about backups. Right. So we'll save it. Okay. So I've got those notes for another episode. Okay. Uh, but last episode, we talked about... Uh, aside from backup stuff, talked about Mac OS X version to be determined Lion. Uh, and we talked all about uh, what Apple thought of that. And I got a little bit of follow-up on the, the, the Lion stuff. Uh, hopefully not a half an hour's worth so we can save room for the actual topic of today's show. Um, one thing that people brought up that I should have mentioned but totally didn't think about, uh, but I have thought about a lot in the past, is the name of the operating system. And, you know, the, the big cat names really don't leak ahead of time. For the most part, we haven't known the big cat names of the various uh, versions of Mac OS X right. until Apple says so. And that always, I guess people don't care, but I always cared. I thought, I mean, it was meaningless really, but I always thought it was interesting. Um, and I really didn't think this time around that they would go with Lion. Uh, because, you know, you'd save Lion for the end, wouldn't you? Because once you do the king of the jungle, you know, it's the biggest big cat. or Yeah. You've got nowhere else to go. We're right. Lion. You can't go back to like Lynx or Ocelot or something. Uh, so this one's clearly called Lion, and that's kind of like a strong hint that this is either the end of the line for cat branding uh-huh. or possibly the end of the line for Mac OS X branding. Okay. That's and, that's very interesting. And, you know, you, you bring up a great point. I remember thinking, I don't, I don't especially like the name Lion for, for this as much as some of the other cats that are out there because lion it sounds like lying you know what i'm saying there's yeah, some, yeah, you know, yeah. little things like that and so i was thinking the same thing i was thinking i want there has to be a reason why they would pick lion and and that that has to be the answer which is it though which is it is it that it's the end of uh, end of the end of the line for os 10 or is it cat names are done and well, why would they why would they go away from cat names when there's so many left the first thing I would say is that I, I think all of my all the things that I talked about in the last episode still stand in terms of what the product will be. This is entirely about uh, naming and branding. It's nothing about the content of the operating system. So whether or not they go away from Big Cat branding or they go away from the Mac OS X branding, I think the content of the next version of what is now known as Mac OS X will be the same. I don't think that because they changed the name, suddenly I, I would revise my guesses about the you know whether it will be more or less like ios i think they're clearly going on that transition to make it more ios like but the transition is not going to go any faster if they rename things it would purely be a positioning thing and just a branding thing and maybe it would help 
people feel more comfortable with it, but I don't think it would help them overcome the technical challenges of slowly converting this operating system and its applications to be a more iOS-like model. So that, that's what bothers me about this naming stuff is that people get hot and bothered about it, but I really think it is a, a side issue. So without, um, without cheating, can you name all of the versions by their sure. code name, starting with, with 10.0 all the way up to 10.7, obviously? Sure. 10.0 10, was Cheetah, 10.1 Puma, 10.2 Jaguar, 10.3 Panther, 10.4 Tiger, 10.5 Leopard, 10.6 Snow Leopard, and then whatever they're going to call this one, Lion. They haven't really talked about a version number as far as I know. Everyone assumes it will be 10.7, um, and I think that's a good bet too, but... I don't think they've actually talked about it. Maybe it's on their website. I don't know. I'm, I'm impressed. Do you know what the code name for the public beta was? The code name for the public beta? Yeah. Jeez. That one, I don't. That's very, I'm very impressed. It doesn't matter. You did so well listing those I mean, off once so Once you quickly. say it, I will probably be reminded of it, but I don't remember. Kodiak. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I would have, that, that does sound very familiar. And we had to pay 30 bucks for that too. Yeah. Happy to do it. But yeah, they, they did have wine names too. If did they Google really? It, you get the, the in the beginning they were going to have wine names. I don't remember what the wine names were, but they were for a while there. I think around the time of Jaguar, the it was a rumor that the wine name was going around, and the rumor was that they were going that was going to be the official names. But I guess that didn't get past marketing. Yeah, it was only a Bertrand Soleil or some other wine aficionado <laughs> trying to make that stick. And once it bounced up to marketing, they were like, "Yeah, no, we're not going to do that." So, so what do you think this means, though? I mean, does it does it mean the end of the big cat names? Here's what I think. Uh, I I think it will. They will abandon cat names when they abandon when they abandon the Mac OS X OS as a whole. I don't. I, you really think that they do a Mac OS ten dot whatever eight and not do a cat name? I think Lion has to be the end of the cat yeah, name because it, it just be. makes no sense to do another cat after Lion unless – no, it makes no sense. There's, Very impressive no, reading you know, but, but reading that subtle hint from, from Apple. Do you think anyone else has picked up on this? Yeah, I people st- talked about it like crazy. I, mean, I, 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 I don't know. As soon as it was called Lion, even before it was called Lion, there, were, there was speculation. There's always speculation. What is the big cat name going to be? And someone always suggests Lion, and then everyone else says, no, they're saving that for the end. That won't be until X, Y, Z. So, so it's clearly it, it is the end then. It's the end of big cat branding, I would say, pretty certainly. And if they're going to get rid of big cat branding, you, they could just say, well, we're done with that silly thing where, they, where we put a cat name after it. We're just going to call it Mac OS X. Another option is they could just drop the Mac and just call it OS X so it sort of matches better with iOS. I don't know. Remember when they did that for a brief period of time? There was this tiny window where yeah. they were trying to call the operating system that ran on the iPod Touch and iPhone OS 10 by itself without the Mac prefix. Yeah. And they changed their mind and, and decided to call it iOS because for a long time it was called iPhone OS running on devices that weren't iPhones. Right. So then that made no sense. Period. Yeah, where they called it, well, we're going to call it OS 10, which made a little bit more sense. <laughs> it's not Mac OS 10, it's OS 10. But then the final decision for marketing was apparently iOS, which I don't know if it does any better. It's not really very IE. So, so here, well, here's, here's the question then. If. If that's iOS, do you think we would see XOS? No, because the i prefix is the whole iMac. Apple's always done this. I, I hope you're right because I don't want XOS. I think that'd be horrible. They, they would not say it as X. That's always ten. I know. know. I'm just asking you what you think. 
People ask me these questions all the time. I'm just really but, but branding. Apple is wacky with branding. Like they like simplicity. Remember MacBook? MacBook is a horrible brand. People get used to it. People get used to anything. That's not a measure of how good it is. Like we is a bad name, but people get used to it and then it, it becomes fine. But MacBook is not as good as PowerBook either. But people get used to that too. I think I don't think Mac is going to go away because I think it is still str- a strong brand. They've kind of reemphasized that by yeah. calling you know MacBooks. Mac is a brand, and I think they still believe in that brand. I don't know. Call it Mac iOS. Just who knows? Who the heck knows? This is really, but the, the the key part of this is this is entirely up to the marketing department and the people who make those decisions, and it has nothing to do with the technical content of the operating system. The, the engineering side worries about the technical content and evolving the operating system, and no matter what they do, the marketing people are going to do what the marketing people are going to do, uh, and they're really two separate threads. So here, here's a question then: what what would really be required? for them to no longer call it or no longer think of it as OS 10. I mean, you know, think back to the, to the old days, system seven became eight, nine, 10. What, what, I mean, obviously with 10, there was a huge, huge change. It was an all new operating system, at least for Apple. I mean, we all know it came from uh, next, but it was, it was an essentially a, a, a completely new OS. I don't know if the change from 8 to 9 would be considered a whole new OS, but how do they, you know, on the Windows side of things, you've got operating systems that that are all kind of correlated, but every time they come out with a new thing, they they call it something completely new. They're not releasing, you know, although it might be, you, you might argue that it really is, it's not Windows 3 and then 4 and then 5 and then 6. They always have these different names. They're not, the the lineages are not obvious. You're not suggesting that they're going to do something like that. You're saying the opposite. You're saying it's still going to be the same OS that we love regardless of the name. Yeah, I'm saying naming and technology have almost no relation. Like, remember, uh, we went from system 7.5. whatever to Mac OS 7.6. And there was, you know, there was this, the change from 7.5 to 7.6 was no bigger than the change between any other seven versions, really. They changed the name of it. They just changed because they felt like it. Whereas, as you pointed out, the change from mac os 9 to mac os 10 with the roman numeral was like a hundred percent change yeah so really the naming has absolutely nothing to do with uh, the the amount the operating system changes and any discussion that starts from that premise or is based on that is just pointless uh discussion to have the names are the names and they're fun to talk about and everything too but they're really completely independent of the tech uh the next time there's a a tech jump like there was from 9 to 10 that's probably a good topic for another show as I have some theories about what that might be um, and possibly when it might come. But that's, and surely they will do a name change then, but that's not, uh, doesn't have anything to do with the branding stuff. Josh in the chat room asks, um, what about Mac OS 10 server as a separate branded product? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. There was, they released Mac OS 10 server 1.0, which was basically Rhapsody uh, that really had no relation to the current Mac OS 10, except that they both had next underpinnings. Uh, and that was kind of a dead product. And then they revived it. And when they revived it, it was Mac OS 10 server. I think it was called 10.0, where they were trying to sync the versions up with the real Mac OS 10. But now that they've ditched the X serve, Mac OS 10 server, I feel like, is not long for this world. Uh, maybe they'll just keep having it limp along and become increasingly more like Mac OS 10 client. It already is basically identical, except for some parameters tweaked and tons of new bundled applications. But right. I wouldn't want to be in that group at Apple uh, working on that stuff because that area of the business seems to just be atrophying. 
Well, and, and, and as you mentioned, there are a handful of other utilities and tools, but a lot of them were XServe specific. A lot of them were XRAID specific. I mean, if you, if you really, there's nothing that would stop you from taking OS 10 as it stands today and using it as a server. There's almost nothing that you really, you don't really need those additional tools, except if you're doing it in kind of a, a workplace environment and you're using it for file serving and things like that. If you're just thinking of it in terms of like serving a web server or a database server or a straightforward file server, a lot of those things you don't even need. So yeah, I mean, does it make sense for them to maintain OS 10 server? For a little while. I mean, right now there's people who put it on their tower computers to help them, you know, serve, uh, they have shared home directories or something to help them serve a bunch of users in a video editing suite there are places for it, and there are still places for the one or two little proprietary features that Apple has added because they have their own GUI for directory services uh, mm. that's on top of like LDAP and all that stuff. But the other things are just open source stuff that they package and throw on there. It's kind of a, a melange of Apple modified stuff, uh, custom Apple stuff, complete open source stuff, and you know it, it's it's a big mishmash that I guess the people who are using it want it to continue to be supported but for the rest of the world they're just like let me get a linux server and and install the software i need to install on it and i'll be fine and like you said it, it as a control panel control panel on an xserve and everything that's the only place where you absolutely positively need this software because you can't get any of this cool xserve controlling guis from any other company but that's gone away now so damn but that's not our topic yeah uh, i got one well do you want to do one more follow-up or yep, you want to yep, move on? yep. all right so uh, actually, two more follow-ups. So on, on the line thing, uh, I mentioned that spaces look like they were completely gone, and, and other people have pointed out that you can't really tell because just because they didn't demo spaces at all during their little October demo doesn't mean they're gone. It just means they decided not to demo it. I mean, they said Mission Control combines you know all these things, including spaces, into one unified interface, but then they never, ever showed spaces, or at least what we think of as spaces, and that led mm-hmm. me to believe that they're just ditching entirely. But That's for all what I, I know, thought, too. For all I know, it's still there, and they just decided never to activate it. Um, so I got the impression that that they were replacing it too, though. And I, I I don't know. I'm on the fence about that. I really did get the impression that they were they were saying we're done with it. They don't really demo spaces that much. I think they demoed it when it was introduced, but they hardly ever, you know, if you, any sort of demo, an in-store automatically running demo, people demonstrating it, they never show spaces. So it could still be there in its own in its existing buggy state. But uh, I have my doubts. But at any rate, it was uh, people pointed out rightly that. We don't know for sure, and it's just still speculation at this point because I don't think there's even been a dev build of uh, of Lion given out to anybody that I know of. No. Um, and the final follow-up, all the way back to the first show, was when we talked about TV. Uh, there was this thing that I tweeted uh, the other day about some, I don't know what this company is, but some company did some experiment where they tried to take regular people and have them replace their cable box. Yeah, we just talked about that on, on Briefly Awesome. Yeah, they, they um, yeah. is it something Hill? Yeah, Hill Holiday or something Hill Holiday, like that. something like that. But yeah, they, they and these were regular people. These weren't people like us. These yeah, are regular and, human beings. And then they like, you know, they did a study, but they also videotaped the people talking about it. Um, so you can follow the link in the show notes and watch the videos and see what the people had to say. But the bottom line was that none of these boxes are ready to completely replace cable. It's kind of an unfair comparison because these boxes are not sold as replacements. They're usually sold as you know supplements to your existing watching. But positioning them as replacements and saying, here, we're going to take away your cable really highlights all the flaws of these boxes of 
you know, there's not a lot of content available. The, the expectations of television is that it doesn't crash and you don't have spinning weight cursors, and those are all over these machines. Uh, and some people are making the point that they don't want to be so actively involved in having to choose what they want. They want programming to be broadcast at them, which is kind of a novel concept for those of us in the TiVo generation who are, have already, you know, sort of taken control of the television. And it's not like we're, we're sitting there racking our brains about what to watch. We set up recordings and season passes for the shows we're interested in and whenever it's convenient for us we sit down and we have a bunch of content that we chose ready for us so that idea of sitting down in front of the box and flipping through channels first of all changing channels on any modern cable box is so incredibly painful and slow that i can't imagine there are people who are actually flipping through channels do do you remember doing that with like in maybe the 80s or 90s televisions could change channels really fast and the advent of the remote you could change channels almost as fast as you could hit the button yeah like they did that gag in, in toy story 2 about you know going around the horn because <laughs> you're going through that right. gag does not work anymore for kids who are growing up now they're like you can't change channels that fast because a stupid cable box takes 20 minutes to sync to the next you know yeah yeah you don't even i mean like, there there that's the whole reason that that the guide is so critical because you can't change yeah, you, you can't cannot, change look, channels by flipping you, you, a button you, you would go nuts i mean like waiting especially when they're you know this channel is in hd and this channel is not and you're waiting for your tv to resync it is horrendously slow that's another example of a television thing that's gotten worse over time so Flipping through channels is alien to me, but some of these older people in the video were saying they just want to sit down and, and flip through the three or four channels that they're interested in and see what's on, quote-unquote, which right. is a phenomenon that like, I can't remember the last time in the last five or six years that I've sat down in front of the television and said, let me see what's on. No, I sit down and I expect programs that I recorded previously that I know I like to be ready and waiting for me, and I just choose which one of them I want to watch. Yeah. Well, there are a lot of people who turn a TV on just to have the background noise, or there are people who just you know, they know there's a show on and they maybe they watch what's on it before it or after it. But very much it's become a consumer driven process of how we how we watch TV as opposed to a network driven process of what they show to us. Well, for some people anyway, like, like I said, you saw the people in this video yeah. and it was a it's a different world from, uh, you know, my contemporaries or people in the circles that I travel in. But it's clear that the people like that are out there and it shows that these boxes have are have still no, no chance to penetrate the mainstream as a replacement for cable. And even as a supplement, it seems like it doesn't fit in with their pattern of watching television. So these are the type of people you may just have to wait for them to die off before these boxes become uh, pervasive. Yeah, so what do, your, what do your kids do? Do they have like a TiVo or do they have things that are, that are theirs that they can watch? Or do, or do they sit down and watch like you put on Nick Jr. or something they just watch it? They've never watched live TV and they've never watched commercials either. I mean, my son is uh, six now and... He, the only commercials he's seen is a, two shows that he records have one commercial break in them, and he knows how to thirty seconds skip past them. So he has literally <laughs> he has literally never seen commercials at the age of six. Whereas by the time I was six, I'd probably seen you know whatever it is twenty million hours of commercials. Right, right, right. Interestingly, the not seeing commercials does not make him not want to beg for toys because when we go to the toy store. He sees the toys there, and right. you don't need ads to make toys attractive to three, four, five, and six year olds. So yeah. maybe it would be worse if he saw commercials, but no. I mean, the first time a commercial came on, he called me into the room when he was three or four and says, Daddy, there's nothing wrong with the TV. Right. Why, why, where's my show? Right, exactly. Why don't, he didn't understand what this or was. You know, it's over. Why is it over? Yeah. Well, it's not Although over. They, it's this commercial. They, they get annoyed now. Like he watches some shows that release a new episode every week uh, in a particular season. And when he watches one episode, he wants to watch another one. I say it hasn't aired yet. And it, I've still <laughs> struggled to explain that concept that, that you know, they make the shows ahead of time, but they dole them out sort of one every week. And yeah. he's like, I, why can't you just show me the show? Like, we haven't recorded it yet. It's broadcast. And then, like, it's 
Yeah, his mental model does not match the actual model for television. It matches yeah. more closely the TiVo model. Yeah. It's funny because kids growing up now really won't ever have the same concept of TV that, that we had. And most of the people who are listening to this show probably had too, which is very, very fundamentally different. Uh, you know, we have all these shows and we actually went through this transition with our kid. He's three being able to go from all of the, we just got, to be honest, we just kind of got fed up with him saying, I wouldn't, I want to watch this one. Oh, but I don't, I don't just want dinosaur train. You know, I want the one where they find the triceratops, you know, or it, it became this specific, and, and we just were like, you know what? We're putting on uh, Nick Jr., and whatever's on, that's what we're watching for the next half hour while we eat lunch, or whatever it is, you know, while, while we try to take the trash out and do all these other things around the house, you're going to get to watch a show for 30 minutes, and it's whatever's on. And he, they, there was this transition, because for, for so long, we kind of doled out to him oh, well, we only want him to watch so much TV, so we'll give him this show and this show because he seems to like him. And we had to sort of transition it to this is what's on, and we don't control what's on, you know? And, and that was his shift. His mindset change was TV is happening, and we don't always control it. So well, anyway. my kids still my kids still request specific episodes. That makes that was another thing that drives me nuts about TiVo is it's they have a description of a show, the one where the mean dog says X Y Z, and then you've got to look through the show descriptions to find it. But at a certain point, you get good at finding them. I'm also using it as a way to teach my kids to read because you'll make them read the titles and descriptions of the shows themselves in the menu. But it's interesting going through all this when they have a sort of they can pick any episode of any of their shows they want to watch at any time. Both of them pretty quickly arrived upon the random play via daddy technique. <laughs> where they'll just say, just, just pick anyone, Dad. And so I pick a random episode, and that's what they get to watch. Or right. th- their choices now are uh, random play by Dad, the latest episode, which they do understand the concept of that. It's the one at the top of the list. It's the newest one, even if it happens to be a repeat. Uh, and then a specific description of, you know, show me the one with this. Or, or my daughter, who's three, her description is, I don't want the one with uh, the bugs, and I don't want the one with, you know, something else. And then you pick any from over there. So. Mm. I don't mind as, as long as and, and my kids only basically watch PBS too. So no ads. Every show has some educational content with the exception of Clone Wars, which the chat room is talking about. And yes, my son is addicted to that as well. Um, we'll maybe we'll do a Star Wars episode eventually, but I don't want this to turn into a talk show. So yeah. let's see. All right. Uh, show topic. Today's actual show topic. Uh, you pick this one as usual. Yeah. Well, you, for, you force me to pick them. I would rather you I, just pick them, but you... I like for you to pick them because I'm the one who's writing the topics, and if I pick them, I feel like that has to be Chinese ball. I, I write down the topics, and then you pick them. It adds a little fine. bit of dynamic, you know... I don't know. I, I just feel like if I pick them, I'll always pick the ones that are the most interesting to me and perhaps not the most interesting to the listeners. So okay. you add a second You're voice. You're so considerate. I, I try. So today <laughs> is, uh, is iOS versus the world. Yeah, love that. iOS versus the world. Yeah, and the, the short description of this was uh, what Apple needs. Oh, we just lost John. Hold on. Because that was, he was just getting, right. what I'm happened? Back. What happened? I'm back, yes. I had a little uh, software malfunction. There. Okay, so say that again, because I was, I was on the edge of my seat. All right, so iOS versus the world is what Apple needs to do to achieve iPod-like success with iOS devices. And some would argue they already have. Well, in my definition of that phrase, I'm saying iPod lost like success is just complete dominance. So if you have a digital music player, if you know anyone who has a digital music player. It's an iPod. 
yeah, you it's a pretty good guess. It's just like if you know anybody who has a computer, you know, across the entire world, you can say it's a Windows PC. Yeah. I mean, among our friends, yes, it's always going to be Macs or whatever, but it doesn't matter. Like, iPod is like Windows. It's not like just among, you know, geek nerds who travel in the exact same tech circles as you do. You can guess what it's – no, anybody. Pick any random human on, in the United States or in the, in the first world, right, and say, he has a digital music player. Guess what it is. You guess iPod, you're right 70% of the time. Just like you guess Windows, you're right 90% of the time or whatever the percentages are. Um, and so I, I wrote about this uh, – when was that – Back in the summer, uh, the thrust of the article was something slightly different, but this was in the core of the article. The article was called, uh, Can You Buy Me Now?, which was my uh, play on Verizon's Can You Hear Me Now? thing, and it was about why Apple needs to go to Verizon uh, and why they have to do it soon. Right. Looks Um, like they listened to you. Well, yeah, they didn't listen to me. Uh, It's interesting, though, speaking of uh, Apple going to Verizon, I remember in whenever they they had WDC and they announced the... uh, I guess it was the iPhone 4 in June of this year. Was that uh, the announcement then? I think uh, it was June. June or July. But anyway, during the summer when they had WWDC um, and everyone was talking about Verizon as they always do before any type of thing. As soon as they came on stage and did their presentation about the iPhone, I just knew January 2011 Verizon iPhone. Like people were talking about it coming earlier and they didn't know when the contract was going to be up and they didn't know what it was going to be. But as soon as they did that whole presentation on a new iPhone, didn't mention Verizon once, and had this brand new hardware and this new OS and everything, it was clear to me that this is not happening until at least 2011, but they'll want to do it as soon as they can. So that's one of the, the, the times I had the clearest premonition about when, based on nothing really, just gut instinct, based on when Verizon iPhones were coming, it turned out to be right. Uh, not that I could do anything with that information, but uh, that was just a uh, fun coincidence. But anyway, this article was about why they need to get on Verizon as soon as possible. And it was talking about how everyone likes to apply the Windows PC template on top of any sort of tech debate. It used yeah. to be they would, they would apply the, uh, the Betamax. Uh, yeah, VHS Betamax. VHS thing. Yeah. They, they applied the VHS Betamax analogy to PCs. But now, now at this day and age, people apply the PC analogy. And the PC analogy is, you know, Macintosh came along and it was arguably a better product, but Windows licensed, uh, Microsoft licensed Windows far and wide and everybody uh, got on board that train and Apple was marginalized and Windows came to dominate. And so that's the template that they try to shoehorn every single thing into it. And, and right. if you were to update that analogy, it fits pretty well. You can say, you know, today Google is Microsoft. They're, they're licensing their operating system far and wide. You know, Android is their Windows, right? So it's an operating system that everybody can have. They sell it to hard drive. Or they sell it. They give it away, actually to uh, hardware makers, and, and, uh, and iOS is the Macintosh operating system. And Apple, Apple is Apple in both analogies, which I think is interesting. It's like the one player that has not changed in you know, two generations of uh, tech battles. Uh, and the whole article talks about why, these, why there's a difference, why this template doesn't really hold. Um, I'll go through a couple of the reasons why it doesn't hold briefly. You can read the article if you want to. But uh, for pricing, uh, Windows PCs are always way cheaper than Macs. Still are arguably, it, you know, not 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 equivalent machines, but you can get into a PC for less. Yeah, and the, and, the, and it wasn't at various points. It wasn't like five bucks cheaper. It was like hundreds of dollars. You know, it's some in the in the mid nineties. It was you know double the price sometimes for similarly powerful uh, computers, and that is simply not the case with iOS based devices. Uh, the iPhone 
cost about the same amount as any other phone does, any yeah. other uh, comparable smartphone. And the main thing is that the, the majority of the cost of phones is not in the phone themselves, it's in the contract. And Apple doesn't even control that price. Right. And that's more or less the same for everybody. So uh, that's a big difference. Um, in this case, Apple got the critical mass pretty fast with the iOS app store and everything. They never, like, they have higher iOS market share, no matter how you measure it, than they ever did for the Mac. Even in the Mac's heyday, I think the Mac barely got above 10% in, like, its best time. And, and you know, Apple's got 16% or something of the smartphone market now. Uh, and in terms of the App Store, in terms of number of applications and downloads, Apple never had this kind of dominance with Mac apps. There were never, you know, 10 times, 20 times as many Mac apps as Windows apps. Right. So Apple did really get out ahead here. Um, the, the, one of the big things that people don't talk about much is that people don't shop based on spec anymore. Like they did in the PC world. It was always like, how many megahertz? How many megabytes? How big is the hard drive? How big is the screen? How many colors? You know, they would shop based on those criteria. And that's why Apple couldn't compete on price because their machines were always more expensive for a similar specs. They just had uh, different software on them. Right. And people didn't really factor in the software because they software is free, right? But now people don't shop like that. Like people don't even know the specs of their phones. They, they just know to the extent that they care at all about the hardware of their phone. They just know, like, does it feel fast? Yeah, that's it. They don't. They don't care. And Apple, I think it, you can. You have to credit them for that because they've never really talked about the specs of the iPhone. Yeah, they stopped talking about the specs of their Macs. In fact, they just yeah. don't want to talk about that. They don't want it. They know that is not their strength, and they learned from the PC, you know, wars. Like, yeah. we're never going to win on that. So just You're don't right. even talk about it. If they could not tell you how fast the CPU was in your Macs, they would. If they could not tell you how much RAM they had, they would. Like. They just don't want. To, they don't want to talk about that at all. And and the thing is, people, especially with phones, people barely even care if it feels fast. They mostly shop based on like whim, branding, and advertising campaign. What their friends have, availability of applications. But people can put up with pretty crappy interfaces and not complain. So we all appreciate that iOS is awesome because it's responsive. But I would be cautious about assigning too much value to that in in the wider market because the bottom line is most people do not care as much as we do. And you can say that they subconsciously notice. And it does make a difference, but it's not the deal breaker like it is with us. Like we'd be willing yeah. to make many sacrifices to keep a good interface, whereas most other people will trade that away much faster than we will for some other advantage that they consider significant. And fashion has a lot to do with phones. People buy phones because they're cute, because they have a cool case, because you know there's a Hello Kitty stamped on the back, whatever. Much more so than laptops and certainly more so than PCs, even though Apple tried to do that with the, the candy iMacs and everything, and people did buy them because they were cute. Fashion is much more relevant to things that you hold with you, especially something you use like as much as a phone. Uh, and the, uh, the final thing that's different is one hardware maker versus many hardware makers. Like in, in the PC Mac wars, it was Apple versus an entire industry. It was Apple versus Compaq, Dell, and a million Asian suppliers and Gateway. And just there was tons and tons of companies. And then on the Apple side, there was just Apple. And one company can't compete with that kind of diversity. So there was people making PCs for point of sale, people making them in for use in factories, right. people make waterproof ones that you can use underwater, you know, <laughs> ones shaped like a shoe. I mean, <laughs> ones with televisions built in, ones with stereos. But it just, there was, and those companies would go out of business because no one wanted those things. Well, there was, it was a million companies all trying every possible thing. And the ones that stuck kind of survived, and there was eventually consolidation and so on and so forth. But during the growth period, it was tough for Apple to keep up. Even when Apple had like eight bazillion performers that we couldn't keep track of and they were trying to sell them through Sears and everything, they still didn't have as many products as PCs. You could get the exact PC that you wanted and if you couldn't get it, you could build it. Not that many people did that, but it was tough for, for Apple to compete uh, in that thing. But 
in the sort of modern era when they did the iPod, they had a similar scenario. Apple, the only company that makes iPods is Apple. And millions of companies made digital music players, you know, the hundreds of no-name, uh, you know, Asian knockoff things. And what are the, like, I don't remember all of them, uh, Rio, uh, what are the other ones? Samsung made yeah, a whole, yeah. Sanyo made a whole bunch. It really was Apple versus tons of other companies. But Apple showed that if all those other things are different, all those other things that I talked about are not the same, that just the one hardware hardware maker versus many hardware maker issue is not enough to you know automatically uh, make it so that you can't win. So they they covered the needs of pretty much an entire market with just one company's product line with three or four products. Start out with one iPod, then there was two, then they replaced the Mini with the Nano, then they threw the Shuffle in the mix. Now you've got the Touch, but it's still maybe one, two, three, four models, and they covered you know seventy, eighty percent of everybody's needs. People are not skipping an iPod because Oh, well, I, I want one that has this much memory, but has this form factor, but has this screen, but that has this, you know, that's what people would do with PCs. They would say, well, I like the Mac, but I really want one that has two slots, but I want two hard drive bays, but I want the second hard drive bay to be five and a quarter. But I, you know, nobody does that with, you know, you could do that with iPods. You could say, well, the current Nano stinks because it doesn't have physical buttons. I don't like a touch screen, so I have no other options. That's right. You right. don't have other options, but right. people don't shop like that. It helps that they're, you know, an order of magnitude less expensive than a PC, but people literally used to. You know, shop for a Mac, find that they couldn't get exactly the specs that they wanted, and decide that, well, you know, I have no other options. I'm going to go for a PC because I have a whole world of choices. But that doesn't happen in the uh, in the modern era when specs don't count that much. So, you know, this almost harkens back to the, the major shift that Apple has made recently, and I say recently meaning the last few years, you know, calling it the year of the laptop, the year of the portable computer. They have so de-emphasized Mac Pros that it it it's not like they don't admit to making them anymore but th- these things are way in the background you know these things are way way off to the side there's like well you know there's special people who want those we we keep them over here and when those people come to town we say of course you can have one of these things but they're not out there selling them and marketing them and it's all you know laptops and iMacs now i mean that's really where the their emphasis is and it should be i mean those are the machines that are uh that are the best and and that they have the best luck and success with but it that's an, that's an example of the customers leading apple to that right I think. right i think you're because right at a certain point this is kind of like audio at a certain point the technology advances to where it's covering the average person's need uh technologically speaking. So in audio's case, it's like, when does audio get good enough that the average person thinks it's good enough? And unfortunately for audiophiles and people like me, that happened with about, you know, 256 kilobit uh, uh, lossy compressed MP3s. For most people, it's good enough, right? Visual fidelity, I think we're still getting there, especially since visual is, you know, 2D and everything uh, instead of real 3D like we see in real life. So visual fidelity may take much longer. The current video is not quite good enough to... Most people say that, oh, this is this is close enough to the limits of human visual perception that I think uh, I'm fine with it. People still see, you know, a difference between HD and SD. People see a difference between 3D and regular, even though the 3D is crappy and ridiculous. Uh, they see a difference. Uh, with audio, we've reached the point of diminishing returns. Now, the customers also recognized in the PC space that at a certain point, this little laptop does everything I need it to do. Right. I don't need a machine the size of a refrigerator that makes horrible noise that costs thousands of dollars. And it took a while for people to get out of the habit of buying those things. So eventually people said, you know, once you get your first laptop, you go, you know what? For what I do with the computer, this laptop does everything I need. And look how much smaller it is. I can carry it around. And you're just never going to buy a desktop again after that. So 
computing has reached computing and networking has reached the point where you can fill most people's needs with a much smaller, simpler machine. I think it'll keep going in that direction. Maybe we'll all just have you know super duper iPads with larger screens that run whatever is derived from Mac OS X in the future. But once customers started doing that and the sales started shifting, Apple loved it. They're like, great, we hate selling these gigantic things. We'd love to sell you more of these small devices, especially since we've become such such an expert company at building these things with the iPod. You know, We want everything to be completely speckless, sealed units that you don't have to worry about the internals of, that we make huge margins of, and then we sell you. Um, so that was uh, uh, that transition is ongoing. Um, and so getting back to the article, I ended the article with the, my call to say, you know, Apple needs to get on more carriers because the one thing, uh, the, the final thing is different between the uh, sort of uh, iOS wars and the desktop PC wars was the distribution was not really an issue in the old, in the old days uh, with a Mac PC. If you wanted a Mac, you could get it almost anywhere. There are resellers on, on every corner. You could buy Macs in Sears. You can buy them at CompUSA. You know, you could, the distribution wasn't a problem. Retail was everywhere. Retail margins were similar everywhere. Everyone could get to the customers. But with uh, you know, the cell phone uh, market, that is not the case. The carriers control whether you can get to customers. Because if there's no coverage in an area where somebody lives or bad coverage, you just can't sell to them, period. And you have to get on some carrier. You can't sell a cell phone at all. Right, Apple does exactly. not have a cell network. So they are the gatekeepers. And it seemed like, at the time I wrote this, that Android was coming up big because... People would just wander into what they consider the cell phone store, which is like a kiosk at a mall or wherever they bought their last cell phone or, you know, whatever they consider the cell phone store. And they turn in their old phone and they say, oh, I want to get a new one. What have you got? And they look around and they pick the best phone they see in the store. And if Apple's phone is not in that store, they're not going to get it. If it's a Verizon store, <laughs> Apple's phone is not in it. And so they were losing, you know, a huge number of customers simply because they weren't even in the game. You know, Apple does have its retail store, which is a big advantage, but people don't go to the Apple store to buy phones, not people who are not specifically interested in the iPhone, you know. Once they're specifically interested in the iPhone, you've got them already anyway. But the majority of people are just going into the phone store, turning in their old phone for the best new phone. And Apple needed to get in front of those people. Um, and, you know, now they are on Verizon, and we saw the sales numbers. Uh, yeah, I mean, they... they or the, the, sales, the sales statistics, not numbers. They just said how big they are. They didn't say quantity. Right, and they said that, that it was the biggest... I've, uh, the, not biggest iPhones, the biggest phone sale that they've yeah, the ever had at Verizon. It sold faster than any faster. phone they've ever, they ever offered, yeah. yeah. And so I don't know what those numbers are. They but, sold out in, I think, 12 hours. Yeah. Or was it 12? I thought it was like two. It was like two hours or something from the time, from like 3 a.m. to 5 a.m. Was it really? Yeah. Something I read this morning said from 3 a.m. to 5 a.m. in that two-hour window, Verizon sold out all of its pre-orders for the iPhone. That's even that's even faster than I had heard. Wow! This and the thing is, that's interesting from like a sensational point of view. But I, I that's not what I was talking about. I'm talking about after the people who don't even know the you know these people are going to get buy their iPhones and get them early, just like you did. But a few weeks from now, when the ads that are running in television finally start to penetrate the mainstream, and someone goes to replace their phone, and you go, hey, you know, I'm going to get a new cell phone. Let me go to the cell phone store, and they go there, and it's a Verizon store, and they see that there's an iPhone there, they're like. I can get an iPhone on, on my Verizon contract? And the salesperson says, you certainly can. That's, that's where the big market is. It's not these guys who are dying to get a Verizon iPhone, because those are all you know, Mac iPhone nerds already. You've yeah. already got these people. Yeah. Maybe they were like you and suffering under the yoke of bad AT&T coverage and can now finally go back to the herd, but that's not the mass market. The mass market are the people who are just going to wander into the store, see an iPhone, and it's going to win because it's better. Let me, re- and, let me, let me read this to you. Um, it says, uh, it says that... Uh, 
At 8.10 p.m., Verizon ceased online orders of the iPhone to existing customers and ended the most successful first-day sales of the history in the history of the company. This was an exciting day, said Dan Mead. He's president and chief executive officer for them. Uh, in, in just our first two hours, we'd already sold more phones than any first-day launch in our history. And when you consider these initial orders were placed between the hours of 3 a.m. and 5 a.m., it is an incredible success story. It is gratifying to know that our customers responded so enthusiastically to this exclusive offer. Designed that's, to reward them for their loyalty. That's pent-up demand. Um, and that's kind of an explosive <laughs> bubble. And it also has, probably has to do with a lot about supply constraint. Because the iPhone 4 has been supply constrained for seven months. And there's no reason to believe that the CDMA iPhone 4 is not also going to be supply constrained for a long time. Yeah, I'm sure Apple wishes that wasn't the case. But it is. They can't make them fast enough. So so, so let me ask you this. If, if, if I wanted to buy an iPhone 4 on AT&T today... You, you, you think I would be successful? I could go to an Apple store and buy one? Let's just say I have no cell phone, no plans, nothing to, to worry about. I just want to go buy an iPhone today. You have to think that by now, finally, the GSM iPhone 4 should not be supply constrained. Yeah. Simply because the Verizon iPhone thing is siphoning off customers and they've had the seven months to ramp up on the, on the GSM iPhone 4. Uh, you never know, I guess, because like remember the Wii? The Wii was supply constrained for like a year and a half or something ridiculous like that. And it's not like these companies don't know how to manufacture lots of items. It's just at a certain point, you you know, it's like one diode or one thing that you can't get in enough quantity, and that holds up your entire line. When you're when you're selling things in these kind of quantities, it's very difficult to make them as fast as people want to buy them. Uh, but but I have to think that the AT and T iPhone is not going. Next time there's there's an earnings conference call and they talk to them and they say is. Is the iPhone 4 still comply, supply constrained on AT&T? They have to say no. I can't imagine it's going to be. If it is supply constrained, then Apple's stock is going to go up another 50 bucks because that <laughs> means people are just buying <laughs> iPhones like crazy. You know? Yeah. Uh, I think the CMA iPhone is going to be supply constrained for a long time just because it's a brand new product. Uh, even though it looks the same on the outside, there's all new internals. And there's, there's this big bubble of, of demand and there's this national advertising campaign. So expect that to be tough to get for a while, and, and, and it's going to limit their sales. It's going li- to limit how many Apple can sell, uh, which is kind of a shame from an uh, earnings standpoint, but uh, they'll get over it eventually. If anything, you know, the, the light at the end of the tunnel is that the iPhone 4 could be supply-constrained for its entire life, and then the iPhone 5 comes out this summer, and finally you can get some iPhone 4s like they're 99 bucks in Walmart, right? <laughs> exactly. It'll be a little bit perverse. Um, so that, that, was, that was the article about, uh, you know, uh, what I think iOS needs to do to to achieve uh, iPod-like success, and the, the the two main thrusts are get on more carriers. All right, checkbox. You know that would basically get on more carriers meant to get on Verizon in the U.S. because almost every other country had multiple carriers already. U.S. is a huge market. It was clear that they weren't on Verizon yet, and I was trying to explain why it's so important for them to get on Verizon ASAP before Android comes and eats the rest of their lunch. Um, and the other thing was to try to express that I think it is possible for a single vendor with a limited product line to come to dominate uh, a market because Apple did it with the iPod and there's no reason they can't do the same thing with the iPhone. And that would mean they would have to diversify their hardware just like they did with the iPod. I don't remember how long they had just one iPod, but it was a pretty long period of time. I mean, for a long time it was Mac only and then it was on Windows and then finally they introduced the Mini and that kind of led to an explosion even though the Mini was like less value for your money because it gave you five times less storage for 50 bucks less money or whatever it was and people, you know, didn't think that was great. But I think Apple will eventually need to diversify its hardware line. They, they kind of have two iPhones now because they always take the previous model and make that the $99 thing. So you kind of have the good iPhone that everyone wants and then the cruddy one. 
and the cruddy one is just last year's model. Mm-hmm. I think they would benefit from diversifying even further, going to two current model phones and then like you know one previous model phone or something. I'm not sure now is the time to do that, and I'm certainly not saying that they have to make a phone with a physical keyboard or go crazy like that. But they could do like an iPhone Nano or a decontented iPhone that you know strip out some of the more expensive stuff instead of having a really nice five megapixel camera. Put a credit camera in there and make the phone free with a contract or something. You know. I don't know if they're at that point yet, but downward price pressure, I think, will eventually, uh, maybe a year or two from now. So you, wait a minute. So two, year, two years from now, you'll walk into the carrier of your choice, and it will be a, a penny phone. I think they have to field a model like that eventually. We're in the early stages of smartphones, kind of like the early stages of the PC market where everything was fancy. Do you remember in the early years of the Mac? Every Mac that Apple introduced was better than all of its previous Macs in every possible way. Yeah. Like the Mac Plus, there's nothing worse about the Mac Plus than the Mac 128, right? Or the Mac 512, nothing worse about that than the 128, than the Plus. The SE was better than the Plus, the, the, the 128, the, the, you know, the 512, in every possible way that it could be better. No spec was not better, right? That was what it was like in the beginning of, of a market. You just do one-upmanship and better and better. Eventually, Apple had to diversify its line. They had to introduce a computer that was not as good as one of its pre-existing computers. Hmm. And, you know, once you start down that path, now it's just the status quo. Obviously, the MacBook is not as good as, as a previous model MacBook Pro. They just do it all the time. Smartphones will reach that point as well. Smartphones will get to the point where it will run apps, it'll run iOS and everything, but it's not as good as the previous top-of-the-line iPhone 7 or whatever. Um, and, and I think that's key to ever achieving uh, market dominance like the iPod did, because the iPod, the iPod showed that one vendor could do it, but you need more than one model. If Apple had stuck with the iPod Classic, they wouldn't have been able to dominate the market the way they do. You need, you need to field some sort of diversified team so that people feel like, well, I got, I've got enough choice. Just like car companies. If you're a Ford family for life, Ford makes enough cars that they can sell you a truck, a minivan, a sedan, a sporty car. They've got a diversified line. They don't have every car in the entire world, but they have something to fill every kind of need. Um, and I think Apple will need to do that eventually. Um, but the underlying thing, the, re- the reason this topic came up or uh, the connection to this topic to your recent shows is that on the talk show this week, you're talking about uh, Gruber's obsession with market share. Yeah, it's and all these all these writing. I'm sick. I'm sick and tired of it, really. <laughs> I mentioned Gruber and market share at the end of this article as well. Uh, and I mentioned that uh, he, he's one of the phrases that I quoted from him, I think, was you can't cash checks with market share. Uh, and the big difference between profit share and market share. And right. you mentioned on the show that the, the thing where he's talked about market share is just a convenient way to keep score. Yeah. Who's winning? And this, yeah. And I think it's sort of an underlying uh, – the, the, the line item I have for this is psychoanalyzing Gruber's obsession <laughs> with market share. And it, it really applies to me as well. It would be psychoanalyzing my own obsession with market share and just everybody's of my generation. Um, and I'm going to try to wrap this up quickly because we're almost over time. But – I'm going to do an immediate Godwin of this. You know Godwin's Law? What is Godwin's Law? Godwin's Law is uh, named after some guy whose last name I believe is Godwin. Is that in any debate online, if it goes on long enough, someone will make some sort of Nazi or Hitler right, reference. Hitler reference. Uh, it's just it's inevitable. And the, the, I think it's a corollary to it or whatever, is that once someone does that, the discussion is over. Rational discourse can no longer happen from that point forward. It, it actually reads, as an online discussion grows longer, the probability of a comparison involving Nazis or Hitler approaches one. 
Yeah, that's the Wikipedia page, right? And, and, yeah. and I think the, the main thing that most people think of when they say that now is that that means it's the end of the discussion. That means you immediately right. lost the discussion. Lost. No one is going to say anything rational again. It's just too hyperbolic. <laughs> yeah, whoever the, the other way I've heard it said is whoever mentions the Nazis loses. Exactly. So I'm going I'm going to immediately God, Godwin this psychoanalyzing thing, but then I'm going to try to pull it back. So we'll see okay. how successful I am here. All right. Uh, so I'm going to say that Gruber's obsession with market share and my obsession with market share is very similar to uh, something from my childhood. And I forget who you're talking to. Oh, it was Marco. Marco's wife grew up on Long Island. I don't know if you know, but I grew up on Long Island. And you said you hadn't heard a Long Island accent in a long time. You're kind of hearing one from me. I don't well, know. It's not very strong. I mean, I knew I, I just knew yours was sort of northeastern, and I didn't, I didn't uh, pick I up the Long Island. The, I don't have the uh, Jersey Shore Long Island accent. Yeah. Most of those people in Jersey Shore are actually from Long Island. Uh, but there's a little accent there. But anyway, growing up on Long Island, uh, a lot or perhaps most of my friends were Jewish. And I would go over to their houses and you know talk to their parents and grandparents. And many of them, I, I don't know how many, maybe all of them, any of them had grandparents living with them. The big thing with the grandparents of my Jewish friends was that they wouldn't ride in German cars. Oh, my, my grandparents were so upset at me that we had a Volkswagen. Oh, my God. They literally almost spit on the ground. Right. I mean, it's, just, it's just an old <laughs> Jewish kind of thing. It's not like I won't buy. And with them, since I was on Long Island and my friends were Jewish and a lot of them were well-to-do, it was about like Mercedes, right? You know, not only would they not buy a Mercedes, or, they wouldn't ride in one. So if you had one, you came to pick them up. The grandparents <laughs> would be like, I will not ride in that car. Right? right. And these people, you know, their families had money. They were they living the American dream. And they were successful, Right. They could buy nice, expensive cars, but and most of the nice, expensive cars were German, but they would refuse to buy them. No, my grandparents were exactly the same way. And, and and the thing is, rationally speaking, you'd say, look, the people who designed and built these cars probably weren't born until World War II was over, right? These they're these are not the Nazis. Germany's our our friend now. The Nazis are gone. These cars are not made by Nazis. You are not benefiting Nazis or anything like that by buying, let alone riding in these cars. This doesn't seem like a rational choice. And they're they're essentially sacrificing their comfort and you know their ability to have a nice car based on this you know attitude they have towards this. Uh, my something I tweeted about uh, recently. This is why I was in front of my mind. Is that this is very similar to my decision not to have an Xbox. Xbox is a game <laughs> console made by Microsoft right. and many people think is better than the PlayStation in many possible ways, and I agree that it actually is. But for the same reason my Jewish friend's grandparents wouldn't ride a German car, I won't have an Xbox in my house. <laughs> right? And That's this all great. And the the analogy here is is uh, the, well this feeling that I have is the same way about Microsoft as the feeling that other people have about Nazis. Now the analogy is not that the Microsoft the Microsoft are Nazis. Saying, I won't buy Microsoft products, therefore Microsoft equals Nazis. No. The analogy is about the irrationality of the choice. It's not the context. It's this idea of making a choice that's, that's hurting yourself for irrational reasons based on past events. That's the analogy. The analogy is not Microsoft or Nazis. Right? So I hope you can uh, you know, ex- understand this, this psychology without trying to bring the Nazis into it. It's, it's about irrational choice, about biting off your nose to spite your face based on some past experience. Now, it gets sketchy now. You can say past experience that was horrific. Microsoft was not horrific. Nazis are horrific, blah, blah, blah. It falls apart. I've just got one the entire conversation. But this is what pops into my mind. Uh, I think, hope we can all keep level heads about this and move on from, from the analogy. Uh, but the reason it comes up in this context is because that struggle of Mac versus PC, Apple versus Microsoft, sort of defines 
the the adolescence and techn- technological blossoming of people of my generation, your generation, and Gruber's generation who were into this type of stuff, right? It underlies everything and the way we think about everything. And even if we're smart enough, like in that whole article, to say it's not the same deal with iOS as it was with Mac PC, even if we're smart enough to realize that the Germans who built this car were not even born when World War, until World War II was over, right? It's still it still informs our thinking uh, at a subconscious emotional level. So the reason Gruber and I and other people are so obsessed with market share is because we live through a situation where the better party didn't win, we felt like, and we were disappointed by it. And we want to make sure that that doesn't happen again. Um, this is one, one more layer back before I bounce all the way back up. Uh, the reason Windows versus Mac was so upsetting is because geeks in general like meritocracy and order, and they want the best thing to win. And in general, tech geeks, or especially Mac geeks, didn't think Windows was the better product. They think it won for reasons that didn't seem fair, for the same way that the jocks were more popular for reasons that didn't seem fair to the nerds, right? They're, they weren't interesting or smart or whatever. They just play one game better or sports or whatever. They were taller or better looking. It didn't seem fair. It wasn't a meritocracy according to the merits that we decided. Well, Windows ran, ran, uh, won the contest for reasons we didn't think were fair. And our team, the Mac, lost, and we thought it was just terrible. And the same thing for like Amiga users or B users or Atari people or whatever, but there's many more Mac users who are sore for similar reasons. It's, it's a really good analogy with the per- persecution the nerds feel, like in high school, right? Or the same persecution that those same nerds felt about their favorite computer at the hands of Windows. Windows didn't seem like it should win, and we hate something that shouldn't win winning because it doesn't deserve to. And so, that situation of saying, you know, something that we didn't think should win did, it was so upsetting to us that now, now we want any battle between a product that we enjoy and a product that we don't think is worthy. We want to win it decisively, just like Windows won it decisively in our youth. And the way you do that is, is to do what Windows did, which is to get massive market share. To say, Windows had 90% of market share. All my friends had Windows. Computers ran Windows, period, for a first approximation. Therefore, for the product I like to win now, that's what we must do. We must get market share. And Gruber's obsession with it is his rational mind, in my obsession, is a rational mind trying to reconcile that with the fact that perhaps that's not the case now. Mm. Maybe you don't need market share, but... And, you know, Gruber posts about it all the time. Well, Apple doesn't have market share, but look how much profit share they have. And they're just, they're selling more phones and they're making all the money in the industry and just trying to, you know, it's like he's trying to convince himself uh, that, that we are winning. But that nagging thing at the back of his mind that makes him keep coming back to that well is that, but, but we're not winning in the way that Windows won. And so maybe there's still the possibility that we could be defeated in that way. And we must prevent that. That thing, that little, you know, Marlon Man lizard brain thing in the back of your mind is just nagging and making us go back to that well of market share and keep looking at it and keep trying to convince ourselves that it's okay if we don't have market share. We're not in danger. We could still win. Yeah, but, <laughs> but how can you really win unless every single person you know has an iPhone unless it's like Windows? How, how can that be winning? Remember what it was like with Windows. Don't we deserve that victory? And that's, that's also what makes uh, the Mac fans keep going to, you know, let's count the iPad as a PC. Does that help us? They're right, still trying to win the right. PC war. Like, we have this great thing. If we can throw the iPad into the PC column, maybe we can go back and re-win, you know, the, the <laughs> right. desktop wars. Yeah. Still have a shot at that one. It's not over, you know? <laughs> and sometimes they want to count the iPad as a PC and a phone because they can use it to help the phone war. And right. The- yeah, that's what I was saying. Count it as both, you know? Right, because then you, could, then you can go back and win the wars of the past <laughs> and win this new war. I think it's just fascinating. This, I think most people who think about this a lot understand that this is the case, but it's a fascinating struggle between our rational minds and, and you know, just 
all sorts of issues tied up in our own adolescence and, <laughs> and the desktop PC wars and deciding what victory looks like. Um, and I think it's unique to people of our age and of our particular inclination. Uh, most other people don't care one way or the other. Um, that's my attempt to explain the, the obsession with market share. And I really don't think it's going to go away. And even within myself, I have trouble really truly in my heart of hearts believing that iOS can win unless it gets, you know, dominant iPod-like market share. So what happens if it doesn't win? Ah, uh, jeez. If it doesn't win, I don't think it's that bad. That's the other thing that you'll see in a lot of these stories is the, like, the bargaining stage. Well, you know, even if we only get 10 or 15%, look at the Mac. The Mac's had 10 and 15%, and we're pretty much happy with our Macs, right? I mean, no, really. They, they don't seem to be going away yet. Right, but we're still sore that we lost, but it's the, you know, I'll take the consolation prize. Consolation prize is the company doesn't go out of business. We still get to use the computers we want. It's certainly better than if Apple had gone under, been bought by Sun or some other horrific, you know, real failure. Right. So we'll take that as a consolation prize, and that's what you tell yourself when you think it's just not going to happen, when you think just Apple's, Apple's not going to be able to do it. I think the iPod is really an optimistic story. The iPod proves that they can do it, that it's possible, that all the pieces are there, Apple can get it done if they make the right moves at the right times. And a lot of moves they are making are good. The same kind of things they did with the iPod. The, the reason pricing is not an issue anymore is because Apple's been really strong with that, with the big buys on Flash ahead of time and everything, and cornering the market on certain components. Yeah, Apple's margins are huge, and their parts prices are low. And with the phones, everyone's on the same CPU, more or less. They're buying the same parts from Qualcomm and Broadcom and all these other companies that make the uh, the radios in them. We're all buying the same flash screens from different vendors. It's a level playing field in that gar- regard, and Apple is doing really well in that area. So in a lot of ways, they are kind of following the same iPod path. But, it's, but you know, the iPod never had an Android-like competitor who is competent and extremely well-funded and, you know, uh, giving Apple more of a run for its money than any iPod competitor ever did. It would have been interesting if Google was as powerful at the time of the iPod's... Uh, you know, ascent to the throne to see if they would have fielded a competitive MB3 player that synced with Google wirelessly or something. <laughs> uh, that that would have been interesting to see if yeah. the same type of... Because Google at this point is kind of doing the Microsoft thing where they, they'll just want to be in every business. Yeah. Like, the way to, us to make money, let's get in that. Maybe they would have thought there was no way for them to make money with portable MB3 players, but we'll see. It's only eight minutes over. Not bad. Well, no, I mean, we started five minutes late. Yeah, yeah. So really, we're only two, two and a half minutes over. Yeah, this, this whole issue, I feel like, is underlying every discussion on, you know, on the talk show no, and, really, and, and, it, and analyze really and everything about market share because it's, it's, all, it's all a bunch of guys who are all in our 30s who lived through the Mac PC wars. And I think all of us are struggling with this, this feeling uh, inside when we discuss this issue. It's the yeah. subtext of everything that gets written about it. That's it, though. That's it for the show. I feel like it is. I mean, you get we got to end it at some point. A little bit of ranting, but that's not bad. No, this is great. This is, I feel like we're you're finally starting to get comfortable. You know what I mean? Like you're finally starting <laughs> to, to loosen up a little. I was uptight in the, the first three shows. You think? Well, especially the first one. But you're you know you this is the kind of rant I expected from you all along. Now I'm going to be disappointed if it doesn't happen. If we go through a show where you don't have a little bit of a tirade on, I'm going to think it was not a successful show. 
And there goes there goes your mic right there, right on cue. Oh, man. Right on schedule. Well, we'll end it. Say goodbye. All right. Are you replugging? How's that? Better? Yeah. And it's fixed. All done. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs> thanks, uh, thanks for tuning in. Appreciate <laughs> you being here. Great topic. What's the problem with the rant shows? Is now you got a lot more editing star for you, or your editor? No, does, no, we don't edit any. I keep it all. But uh, did you did, did you order your t-shirts? You don't have to. I'll send you one. I did not order t-shirts. I will eventually. If you had not sent me t-shirts, and if you never get around to sending me, no, sending send me t-shirts, I will probably eventually buy one because I have a closet. Well, there's full. only there's only a week left. Oh, We're only keeping time. it open for a couple of weeks. So if you guys are listening, you haven't gotten your t-shirts yet, you go to store.5by5.tv and you get a t-shirt for another week before we shut it down. That's it. You have to do a limited run thing. So, yeah. So, yeah. So check that out. Thanks, uh, everybody, for tuning in. We also want to say thanks to our sponsors, adovia.com, campaignmonitor.com, and also thanks to mailchimp.com, who's been uh, paying for our bandwidth this month so that you guys can download all of these episodes so thank you to uh, to all of them john have a good one we'll be back next week uh friday at noon right that's right maybe we'll talk about backups all right <laughs> all right very good take it take care have a good one